Frank Saravalli named three reporters in hockey or any other field, past or present, who either inspired you or you try to emulate in your career. First one is Bob McKenzie, the original hockey insider, the Bob father. He opened up his Rolodex to me, uh, taught me the nuance behind the insider game, and was such a big help in getting me to TSN and beyond. The second would be Craig Button, the director of scouting at TSN, the former Calgary Flames GM, has taught me so much about life, uh, respect in the business, and how to be critical. You can be critical without being personal. And I think that's such a huge point and reminder for young journalists. And uh, the third one would be Rich Hoffman, the former columnist at the Philadelphia Daily News. He took a young kid that had no business being in the press box at age 20, uh, taught me how to act, took me, got me into bars on the road uh, when I wasn't 21 yet, and really just helped me so much throughout my career in terms of uh, getting started and getting settled and can't thank all three of those gentlemen enough. I love those choices, Frank. Uh, just great uh, friends and people I've admired also in my career. Uh, you're listening to Hockey Press Pass presented by Instat Hockey. Our guest is Frank Saravalli, one of the leading NHL insiders and the president of hockey content at dailyfaceoff.com. In addition, Frank is president of the Professional Hockey Writers Association and appears regularly in the studio on national broadcast. So let's start with making the move to dailyfaceoff.com, Frank. Uh, you know, if I was going to start up, you know, if I started a podcast, it would be just to be the equivalent of me months before the podcast being like, here's the ESPN and and TV, uh, t- uh, here are the national TV deals for the NHL and breaking all the news. Well, you broke the Seattle Kraken expansion roster. For the people who continue to sign up for dailyfaceoff.com, what is it that they will see there? Engaging hockey content across a variety of platforms. I mean, we're going to be writing, we're going to be podcasting, we're going to be launching a daily streaming show Monday to Friday, starting on October 4th. And so we're going to be touching a lot of different mediums and we're going to do it in a fresh and independent way. Uh, I'm in the process of rounding out our team and, and hiring a group to join me. And I think that's been the most exciting part is you know, the challenge sort of gives you a little shot in the arm. I had a great run at TSN and and really enjoyed all the different platforms that I touched. And it's also nice to go off and and be on your own. I was ready for a change. And so, um, you know, I can't wait to announce all the details of the people that we're hiring. Now at TSN, you had, uh, you broke so many stories. You also had the collaboration of really legendary teammates, right? Including Bob McKenzie, who you mentioned earlier. Uh, and But you've gone it alone. You did with the Kraken, for the most part, uh, roster. Uh, will In terms of the scoops, are you still kind of going it alone? Or, and I know maybe you're not ready to announce who they are, but are, will there be other people in that department with you? No, in the scoops department, Chris, <laughs> it's going to be me, myself, and I. And I guess at times that's a little bit daunting to think about just because I did have those incredible resources to lean on those teammates. Uh, You'd get a little nugget of information and, you know, fire off a text in our group chat and say, Hey, I'm hearing this. And he'd say, Oh, that makes sense. I'm hearing X, Y, and Z. And, And then the next thing is, you know, all of a sudden it starts to spiral and you get, you end up with a really juicy news story. And that's how insider trading worked behind the scenes that you saw on sports center. But it's also the product of a lot of the, the tweets and, and news and stories and information that we had. So uh, certainly going to miss working really closely with Darren Drager, Pierre Lebrun, and Bob McKenzie. I, I wish those guys the best. And, 
you know, now I'm sort of the, uh, if you look at me, I'm the heavyweight who's the underdog. So, um, I have got, uh, I got to put on my gloves here to get in that ring and, and compete against, uh, those guys. And also Elliot Friedman at Sportsnet and Chris Johnson now at the Toronto star. And so, uh, I'm ready to go, but, uh, certainly a different feel and we'll see what happens. Well, I'm sure it has to be exciting for you. It's more entrepreneurial and, and you're in charge and going it alone certainly did not prevent you from breaking a big story this summer, several big stories, uh, but starting with the Kraken roster. Look, I think if the NHL could do it all over again, they wouldn't have scheduled a launch, you know, let's launch the roster on a live TV show hours or days actually after players started being informed. You did nothing wrong. Everybody knows that. Every reporter would have done the same. Uh, but in the aftermath of that, uh, I wonder if there is anything that you have revisited or that you might do differently. I don't know if there's anything that I would do differently. I mean, I'm not like, um, telling tales out of school to share that there was a process, Chris, that I had to go through to try and smooth some things over. Uh, there were certain people, um, not just you know, at the league level, but also in Seattle, that probably I wasn't their favorite person that day or that week. And, and I get it, especially when that team had gone to such great lengths to try and keep everything under wraps. I mean, they were checking players into hotels in Seattle for the expansion draft under fake names. You know, Chris Dreger goes in as some other guy with the same initial CD and you're like, he gets there. He's like, Oh, I guess this is real. And someone's handing him a key. Um, and so I get it. Um, but you're right. The process at 10 AM for rosters to be submitted. I mean, that leaves someone like me a, a really long window to try and get news. And on a day like that, it just snowballs. And I, I think the one piece of criticism that I received, if I can speak frankly, and I, you know, I did take it to heart and, and get it. Um, and I, it's something to consider for next time, you know, someone, associated, you know, with the hockey world and a decent prominent position had said to me after the fact, you know, I had no problem when you were breaking, you know, Carrie Price not being selected and Vladimir Tarasenko not being selected and all these other big names that were available that ended up not getting selected. And they said, when you got down to announcing or tweeting that Curtis McDermott was the selection from the LA Kings, like that just made you an asshole. And so I was kind of thinking, you know, maybe there's something to that, that um, for a billion dollar entity that they're building in Seattle, that maybe some semblance of, um, you know, suspense is fair. But at the same time, I don't know that Curtis McDermott on stage or whatever it is, is delivering that anyway. So um, two sides to the coin. I got to tell you that having gone through it, not to make this long answer even longer is... Um, I didn't really go to sleep feeling all that well that night about it because there was so much backlash and because people seem to be so amped up about it. You know, people, the memes that were out there trending on Twitter, I, like the reporter never wants to be part of the story. And that, you know, I've sort of taken that to heart my entire career is I don't really love the limelight or that part of it. So um, that some of that criticism did sting. And, you know, at the end of the day, I, I think I'm okay knowing that I did this on the up and up and that um, I tried to treat everyone respectfully and fairly, and that you're right. Every other, I think every other reporter that would is in the same position or had access to the same information that I did 
probably would have acted in a similar manner. I really appreciate uh, the, the candor uh, from you. Also, the comment from the executive or whoever the person was who pointed out the McDermott thing. I think there was one guy you mentioned. I was like, I don't know who that is. Um, so, and I, so, but that's me. Um, but on the other hand, a lot of the players, I believe, there were a couple that I knew about their situations, knew for days because the teams that they were leaving gave them kind of a courtesy. Uh, we also knew, you know, I'm going to throw out the Islanders as an example, and forgive me, I don't know how this is exactly right, but it started to become a process of elimination. Oh, it's not this guy, it's not that, so it's probably, it's got to be Everly, right? Um, so there's that. And then this isn't a Marc-Andre Fleury situation because I believe, and you would know better, and it's okay if you don't want to confirm, but I believe every player knew. Uh, by the time that day came around. So they didn't learn from you that they are now going to Seattle. And that's usually, you know, back when I was with the Islanders, that was always the concern was the play, how the player heard about it. And it really uh, blew up this uh, summer with Flurry. So I don't think you did anything wrong. Last thing on this is that if you, if you hadn't done that, at least five names would have been revealed by colleagues of yours, by peers of yours in the business. There's no doubt in my mind. Yeah, look, information travels so quickly now. And you're right, players knew long before. I mean, just the guys that I kicked off the day with, the two defensemen uh, signing extensions, like they, they clearly knew. They were already talking term and dollars and, and had agreed to term. So um, it wasn't about breaking news to them. It's just that they were sworn to secrecy, and so they had – uh, in some cases, some of these players had even kept it from their families. So that word wasn't getting out. They really tried to like the Seattle Kraken were so incredibly cr proud that they kept their coach hire in Dave Haxtell a secret till less than an hour before the announcement, something that conversations and discussions that had been ongoing for a calendar year with Dave Haxtell and Ron Francis that they kept under wraps. And so I think that stung them a little bit. But really, they were out of, like, it wasn't in their purview. It was out of their control. When you have 31, or in this case, 30 different teams submitting a list, the, the number of people that find out and then the official confirmation that came in, hey, we selected this guy, and all of a sudden, so the GM knows. Then you've got everyone else that's in the front office that was in there that day. They know. The player knows and probably knew beforehand. Then their agent knows. Then their family knows. And all of a sudden, it's not hard to piece together this whole 30-man roster because that information is just snowballing uh, from source to source to source. And it was like you could begin to start checking these guys off the list. I also think in, you know, in the moment, people might have been going after you, but when the show happened, for better or worse, I, I actually don't think, and this is what I heard from most people, is that it didn't impact the show. If you were interested in seeing what Seattle was going to do to unveil these players, a lot of them are not big-name stars there, right? There were three or four or five. In fact, they utilized them as kind of the stars of that show. So there is that. It, going back to the flurry thing, is it, it reminds me of this. I have to assume you've been in a position when it comes to a trade. A free agency, the player knows he's signing. The agent has told them. The player has signed. He's talked to that team. But the trade, there could be a situation where you know of a trade and maybe somebody's saying to you, can you hold off on this because I still haven't gotten a hold of the guy I'm moving or the guy I'm getting or whatever. Um, is that a tough spot? And what do you do in that spot? 
it hasn't happened often in, in my case. Um, I can only really think of one and I can't even remember the player. I can just remember the team. And they just said, look, I've been trying to track this guy down. It was in the summer. He was in Europe. Uh, actually, you know what? There was one that came up um, in the draft this year. There was a trade that I think it was the Florida Panthers made and it ended up going overnight and then into the next morning. I forget exactly what the circumstances were, but the, the player or prospect that was traded, they just couldn't get a hold of him and didn't want it getting out there. And I guess for me, like I'm always hungry for the information and the news and, and I want to be respectful to respectful to all parties involved. But sometimes like your job is your job. Like I'll give you an example. Um, of sometimes the situations that we get put in that are uncomfortable. I'm dealing with a situation right now, um, a personnel move in a front office. And, you know, I, I know that I have it dead to rights. I haven't tweeted it. I know it's accurate. And, you know, I contact some of the parties involved and they're like, well, you're not wrong, but we're still working on it. And it's like, well, we really would rather announce that next week. And, and for me, I'm saying like, well, I appreciate that that's what you want to do, but that I don't, first off, I don't work for you. And second, that's not my job. So it, it's hard to balance those things sometimes because I, I'm, I'm a young guy, even though I look old and I've got 30 years to work in this business. So I don't, I'm not in the process of burning bridges. Like, you know, I mentioned right off the top of my show, one of my mentors, like Craig Button, he always says, the world is made up of 70% water. Like don't go about burning bridges because you know, that's just not how it works. You can't, you can't get to where you want to go. And so I just think that's such an important uh, reminder. And I have to remind myself sometimes that when I'm dealing with these situations, like is what I'm about to tweet really worth making someone so angry that they don't talk to me again for a while? Probably not. That's a great buttonism, by the way. And we had him on the show. A uh, couple of uh, Lou Lamorello and the Islanders. Lou is Oh, he hasn't always done this. I think he took it to a new level this summer. Um, as a PR person, I could, I sit there and go, I get it. I get the team thing, but also part of me would want to roll out each guy, want you know, sign it and announce it. I, you know, okay, it's great that the arena seems to be sold out, but there's you you there's always something to sell. There's always excitement to build. Ultimately, you want to win a Stanley Cup, and I believe Mr. Lamorello's answer would be, I'm here to win, not to, you know. But your thoughts on the uniqueness of what the Islanders did this offseason? Part of it drives me a little crazy, just because there. I think there's no reason to not announce that stuff. Like, no one in this, again, no one in this league is stupid, so if you think that you're going to sign a guy to a deal or at least table the deal and not register it. And then somehow people aren't going to know that your cap space is chewed up or you think you're going to have leverage on another guy to do X, Y, or Z. Like doesn't happen in 2021. So. And I should, just, I should also point out that, that it wound up being no secret, right? By the time they announced it, everybody knew it was, it just, you know. When, yeah, when Kyle Palmieri went one or two days without signing, first off, everyone had an indication that he was going back there anyway. Um, when that goes for so long and then everyone goes radio silent, everyone just shrugs and they're like, oh, blue. Like, okay, makes sense. He's just I, – what I find really interesting – and then first off, I have full respect for Lou Lamorell. I don't deal with him very often, frankly, just because – 
he doesn't share information. He's not in the information trading game. Um, and I don't know if that's just his old school approach. Um, I've, I have had a chance to, uh, to share a glass of wine with him and really respect his experience, his everything that he brings to the table, the way he runs his team, the way that he's able to, um, you know, stand firm in his values and traditions. Um, but at the same time, you know, I don't know that some of the stuff that he is doing or has done in this, with regards to that information really gains him any sort of significant advantage in today's world. Yeah. And, um, I said it when he was with the Devils, too. It, it almost uh, becomes a bigger thing about him. What he is is a, a great general manager, right? And he's a great uh, person. And uh, he would hate that, too. Like, he's yeah, not it, the it person that's winds, seeking attention. Yeah, in a way, it winds up being about him. I don't think it makes the team any better. I think if they win the Stanley Cup or lose in the first round this year, I do think they'll make the playoffs. It won't be about anything. Uh, maybe someday he'll articulate. I would love, you know, it would be great if he just articulated maybe after he retires in 10, 15 years um, as to why it would be it would be, I think, invaluable for all of us uh, to learn from that. Um, you know, you become one of the top newsbreakers in, in the business. Uh, but you went to, not I shouldn't say but, you went to Columbia School of Journalism. And I believe you're about 33 now. When you went to Columbia School of Journalism, were you thinking that you'd be someday revealing the roster of the Seattle Kraken before everyone else? Or were you thinking you were going to cover wars? Like, what did you know what you were doing at that time? The funny story behind that is I actually only lasted at Columbia for three weeks. Um, I had just finished up a year-long internship at the Philadelphia Daily News, and that was the place that I always wanted to be. I mentioned Rich Hoffman off the top, one of my mentors, um, just such a unbelievable columnist. Like I, I learned so much just watching him work. Um, he had gotten me in there for an internship. And at that point I was already freelancing already, you know, making money and I didn't want to go backwards in my career and take an internship for free. And it ended up being the best thing I ever did. Um, and at the end of the year, they came to me and they said, look, we don't have any position for you. We'd love to keep you, but we can't. And so I was like, well, now what? Like there are no journalism jobs. Like no one's hiring. I really want to cover hockey. And I was like, I guess I'll go to Columbia for the year. It was a one year master's program and see what happens. And at that point I had gotten there, moved to New York. I was a couple weeks into classes and the daily news had called and they said, you're not going to believe this, but our flyers writer, his name was Ed Moran. He wants to leave. He, he's, he wants to go coach women's college rowing and this position is open. Are you interested in coming back and interviewing for it? And I was like, absolutely. And I went into the Dean's office at the Columbia graduate school of journalism. And I said, could you give me any sort of indication as to how many of your graduates a year from now land jobs before or at graduation? And she said somewhere around 6%. And I was like, okay, I really respect and, and I've enjoyed my time here, but I'm moving back home to Philly uh, and I'm going to cover the Flyers. And at that point, it was like, there's so many talented journalists there that are in so many different parts of it. Like they treat the sports section and they treat sports beat reporting in general kind of like, yeah, like you guys are over there in the candy store. That doesn't even count, uh, which is fine. 
but it was all I ever really wanted to do was to cover the flyers and to, to land that job at age 21 was so unbelievable. Like I, I hadn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't know what to think. It was like, I was so excited to be in that position. That was really all I ever wanted to do. And then the, all the other things that came after TSN going to daily Faceoff, breaking news, being on Canadian national television as a kid from Philly for six years, like it still blows my mind that that's the career path that I've been on. And I've been incredibly fortunate along the way. Well, you've carried the tradition at the daily news or the flyer beat writers, uh, I was an intern for the Flyers when they went to Stanley Cup final. Uh, I'm trying to do the math. Oh boy, this is like literally like the year before you were born, maybe. And, 87? And yeah, and, and to give you an idea of, of the tradition, the great, late, great uh, Jay Greenberg, who's the Daily News, you know, two pages a day. You know, I'm at LaSalle, I'm going back and forth, I'm reading those two pages. Al Morganti, uh, the Philadelphia Inquirer. The, the depth, the bench was so deep. That, that the Camden Courier post was Ken Rosenthal, who now breaks everything in major league in major league baseball. And and I'm leaving out people, but they were There's literally a Hall of Famer from the Daily News when I worked there in every single sport. Bill Conlin and et cetera. Bill Conlin in baseball, um, Paul Hagen in baseball, um, Ray Dittinger from the NFL Bernard Fernandez in boxing. I mean, think of every major sport, their writer, Jay Greenberg, hockey hall of famer, like all those guys like to be in that. It was the writer's paper. It was the place you wanted to be. And the funny thing is I never, Chris thought about myself as a writer. I was always a reporter. I'm not, I don't have a way with words. I'm not fancy. I like to talk to people. I'm a people person and I like to report. So that was sort of the lane that I had chosen and I got unbelievable access. And also, as you mentioned, the space to write, like I had two pages a day for the longest time. I mean, sometimes depending on the time of year, whether the Phillies were in the world series or the Eagles were in the playoffs, I was back there as, as uh, Les Bowen and others would say with the tire ads, but I loved every second of it. <laughs> Les Bowen. Uh, good line, Les. Um, a lot of people think, I, I'm not trying to do this a lot of people think with you, or some people think because I, I go back at them, but you know what I hear from friends is that there's a theory that the quid pro quo for scoops is favorable coverage. Now, to me, that doesn't seem to work because, it, you know, it, we just, one, it would be obvious, and two, eventually that blows up when they make a move that just doesn't work in any way. Um, and I understand you're never going to tell us how, how the pizza is made or whatever, but is your pledge to the people you work with off and on the record for just professionalism and fairness? Can you shed some light into that, Frank? I'll be honest and say that some people that they have that unspoken or unwritten gentleman's agreement mm -hmm. where you'll see certain people that have certain long-term relationships, like, you know, things that I, frankly, I don't have, like I don't have 35 year relationships with people around the league because I'm not old enough to, um, which is funny, but you'll see those people that they aren't critical. They, if something pops up uh, to where it's an obvious spot to be critical of that person, they'll just say nothing and they'll be quiet. So I do think that that exists in some way, but my pledge is just honesty. Um, I, that's it. it. It's pure honesty. It's, it's just, treat people the way that they want to be treated, provide every single possible courtesy that you can don't screw people over and, and go about things in an up and up way. And I, and I think the people 
that have been around long enough to to be in the game they understand it like you don't nothing needs to be said like you know there's a lot of tidbits or information that i get that i don't use and i really think that's the mark of the best reporters not just in hockey but in any sport is i think the best reporters chris you only see 10% of what they know. And I think you can tell with a lot of reporters that you see a hundred percent of what they know because it's their depth. Isn't there. It's not that the list isn't that long. Their contacts aren't that long. They don't have the, the context uh, to provide. So sometimes it requires sitting on things until the very last moment. There's a long and contentious negotiation that goes on. And I hear details and I call a GM or I call the agent and I say, I don't have interest in giving the fans and the public the play-by-play. Here's what I know. Here's what I have. Is it accurate? Is it not? What's the status of the negotiations? What's going on? And I'll say at the end, like, I have no interest in making all that public, but I'd hope that you could think of me if and when you get the deal done that, you know, I could then break the news. And that's sort of a lot of times what ends up happening is I've heard this or that and rather than spook you or spook anyone, I'd rather just wait for the end game because I think that's what really matters. And you just alluded to it, Frank. I want to talk about trust in sources and that the sources trust in you because it really is a two-way street. Uh, I've been there, right? I, I'll call a writer and I'll be, and, you know, but but I can't help but have an agenda if I'm a PR person. doesn't mean mean spirited or uh, come in, mm-hmm. in, in bad faith, but I'm pushing something that you know it benefits me or the people I'm working for, um, but let's talk about trust. You know, you I imagine. Oh boy, I can only imagine because I still occasionally get a text from somebody. I don't. I'm not even in the business, right? Uh, you know, and I'll get it. I'm hearing this. So, how does is that? Is it a burn me once thing? I mean, you can't even risk that, right? Because if you get something spectacularly wrong because you haven't double or triple checked it or whatever, you're, I don't know if you have a specific protocol when it comes to that. So how does that work with you? And uh, just a long question here, but have you been badly burned and learned from that? I can't really think of a time that I've been badly burned just because the layers, the, the process there is, is generally pretty deep. And I, I do think that there's some people that come out of the woodwork that want to share something and they often have an agenda. They want you to get this part of it out. And then when it comes time for the actual news, they're nowhere to be found. They don't pick up their phone. You never hear from them again. And I I always just kind of, you know, squirrel that away and say, okay, like I get it. Like now I know how you operate and how you work. And that's equally valuable. Like there's plenty of people in the league that I, I really just, I don't, I don't talk to, I don't have a deep relationship with. It's not because I don't respect them or I don't like them. Like I'm all about efficiency. And for me, it's like, how am I best and wisely spending my time um, in terms of who I'm talking to and is the information accurate? Can I rely on these people? And so you build that up over time and it takes a really long time. Like, you know, you don't just get to walk in and meet someone and, and then all of a sudden, five minutes later, call them for info. Like, you know, I, I kind of go through a process where I'll just gently check in every now and again for someone new, someone that I just met, someone in a new job, someone that 
is not even in a position of power, someone to talk to that I invest time in to learn more about, to say, well, I'm here now. And like, what's the game going to look like over the next 30 years? And is this person probably going to be in a position of power at some point that by the time they get there, we will have that relationship that we've been talking. It's development of sources. It's, it seems common sense. Like there's no like manual how to do this. It's just like, when I deal with people, I think of how would I want to be treated if I was in that spot. You're never trying to leverage or hammer someone. You're never trying to, to get one over because let's face it, like whatever happens, what goes around comes around. I truly believe that. And what happens if you like, I don't know if you're always going to look for a second source. That's the case maybe with uh, formal newspapers. You're now the, the president of hockey content. So you, you answer to yourself. You might not have somebody backing you up or being that angel on your shoulder. Uh, I, I know one concern sometimes reporters will have is if I go to that team to, to give them the courtesy, but also to confirm for me, maybe they do something with it or maybe they lead me astray. My move as a PR director is if a guy would call me, I would speak with the GM and usually the move um, would be something along the lines of, you would not be wrong if you reported that, but I can't confirm that. Can you speak to that in terms of any hesitancy to go to that uh, additional confirmations? Yeah, I think the you learn pretty quickly which people and teams you can lean on for that. Like that is so key. If you're a PR person and you're listening to this, or even if you're a GM and I, I, I get this a lot, it's like a lot of times I'll just call and say, Hey, I have this info. I'm sure you probably don't want it out there. And I say, I'm not asking for you to confirm it, but would I look like a jackass if I did this or if I said this? And a lot of times like the response is funny. It'd be like, Oh, you're an amazing guy or like, you know, you know, you're not, a, you're not stupid or whatever it is. Like, and it, it makes you laugh because like they know that they're not confirming it for you, but in a way you know that they are. And that's often enough times to run with it. And sometimes you don't need, um, you don't need a second source. Like sometimes when you get it right from the horse's mouth, like you just know it to be accurate and you know that that person in that position isn't going to be lying to you. So you, it's like bombs away, Twitter, everything happens so fast. We're talking like two, three minutes and it's old news. Like that's how crazy and fast it is. And it's also insanely dangerous too, because your reputation, everything that you've worked for is on the line. And so um, I'd always rather be, uh, be late than wrong. And, and so that's sort of been my mantra and, uh, I'm not going to be first on everything, but knock on wood, I, I think, you know, especially since I've been in the national news breaking game over the last six years, um, the list of times that I've been wrong or inaccurate is pretty small. From the start of this season to the trade deadline, we got Olympics. Uh, the cap does not seem to get in the way of player movement happening. What would you expect this season to look like heading into the trade deadline? Could there be trades, you know, made weeks in advance, maybe even months in advance? Any idea of how you think this season might shake up as we continue to work through the pandemic and the and then you have the Olympics and everything else that this coming year brings? Yeah, I don't. I'm not expecting a ton of player movement. I think everyone's expecting a Jack Eichel and um, a resolution to that saga at a certain point. Um, other than that, it's so difficult to move money that, you know, I don't 
especially also with the Olympics, if you're trading star players, you know, is it going to be before or after and how does that work? And obviously the deadline in this condensed year is pushed back just a little bit uh, because of that schedule. So it is difficult to move money. I'm not expecting a ton of those transactions. One team that I will say is going to be fascinating to watch is the Pittsburgh Penguins. Evgeny Malkin in the final year of his deal, Chris Letang in the final year of his deal, such a big part of their three Stanley Cup winning cores. Uh, you know, if the Pittsburgh Penguins are way out of it, which I don't expect, do they have a decision to make at this year's trade deadline in terms of moving some of those core pieces? So that's a key storyline to, to watch. And then the free agent class, I feel like it's, it's so exciting with uh, some of the players that are out there I mean, Johnny Gaudreau, Claude Giroux, Marc-Andre Fleury, Latang, Malkin. Um, those are all some really, really big names. And I know they're getting a little bit long in the tooth, but um, still fascinating players to watch. And would you see that does the run of, you know, nine million or more contracts for Seth Jones and Dougie Hamilton uh, and, and the like, do you see, you get the sense other players are looking at this and say, hey, look, unless I'm in a, you know, um, Pellock certainly signed an interesting deal with the Islanders, going back to Lou Lamorello, credit to all sides there. Um, but do you think players are seeing that and saying, hey, look, this is my opportunity to get paid and I need to look into this? I, I think so. I mean, look, the, I'd expect that string of deals to continue. There's all sorts of players that are um, getting closer um, in terms of cashing in on those deals. And a lot of those guys, like a Seth Jones, like a Wierenski that signed this offseason, they were on bridge contracts. And so it's either you get to free agency at a certain point and you cash in then, or if you like the situation that you're in, um, you know, you sign, resign like Wierenski did in Columbus, or you try and force your way out and say, Hey, if I have one or two years left before UFA, I can tell you right now, I'm not resigning. I don't want to play here. I'd like to move on and get paid elsewhere. Um, there's all sorts of defensemen in that category. A Charlie McAvoy comes to mind, for instance, um, you know, these guys are going to need to be paid coming off of these bridge deals, and this is their time to cash in in their career. like to close with two quickies, uh, if you don't mind. What is the What did being president of the Professional Hockey Writers Association mean to you? From an outsider perspective, it looks to me like a lot of work or added, may I say with respect, aggravation. But I was going to say a lot of headaches. But it's an elected position. Either somebody volunteered you for it or you were one of the people to raise your hand. So what is it? Why do it? I I'm, I know it was for admirable, is for admirable reasons. Yeah. And um, it was Mark Spector, the, the outgoing president that had approached me to ask me if I would be interested in doing it. Um, for me, it's, it's service. It's, um, to have a seat at the table to help make things better for our organization. It's been a fight for access. And um, the tough part about our organization is that no one really wants to hear sports writers complain about access. Like anyone listening is playing the world's smallest violin because fans just don't care. They don't have time for it. They don't care about what our needs are, or how we do our job. They just want the info and they want it done properly and professionally. And so Publicly, that's difficult behind the scenes, um, really about modernizing the organization, not to go too long, um, you know, getting proper communication channels set up, redesigning a website, turning voting uh, into an electronic process for certain awards, 
making the awards process better as a whole, going to transparency on awards. These are all um, important missions and mandates for our organization. And, um, you know, it's not glamorous, but I'm glad to have a seat at the table and it won't be forever, but I've enjoyed it to this point. And also the pandemic has brought some uh, interesting challenges along the way. So hopefully we can get back to a more regular media access soon. Well, big respect to you, Frank, for doing that. And, you know, I know you a little bit. Competition is good. Competition can be respectful. I get the sense, listen, even with my podcast, I'm trying to grow this thing, right? And I want to see how everyone else is doing and, and how my thing stacks up and whether this was an original and worthwhile idea and then figure it out. My guess is you didn't start dailyfaceoff.com to dink around. What, where are you putting the bar? with this like where what are you going for in terms of you know the competition out there you're friends with all of them yeah we just want to be the premier independent hockey site you know we've already got a, a fascinating portion of our website 100 million visitors a year that come for the lineup starting lineup starting goalies all those things just for gambling and daily face-off re, or daily fantasy reasons and now we're trying to take that that visitor group that comes there on an occasional basis and make it a regular thing with all the different content ideas and pieces that we're going to have on our site. We're going to have new tools for the gamblers and the daily fantasy players, uh, proprietary models uh, to help gamblers behind a subscription paywall. The rest of it's going to be free. So it's a little bit of a different model uh, than some of these other uh, more traditional media outlets have gone some behind a subscriber paywall. Uh, everything's going to be free and out in the open. And we just want to make it interesting and fun. Like we're not stuffy. Um, you know, I'm from Philly. I don't have any of the stuffiness uh, that comes with some of the hockey reporting. It's, it's not going to be highbrow. It's going to be easily digestible, but at the same time, really professional and respectful. And so uh, we've got a lot to accomplish and a lot to tackle. And, and I think we can get there and do this in a fun and exciting way. Well, I wish you luck. You're really uh, candid about the process. You shed some light even more than I came into this expecting. So I appreciate it, Frank. Good luck uh, with dailyfaceoff.com. And I'll, hopefully I'll see you down the road. My pleasure, Chris. I enjoyed it. Thanks, Frank. Hey guys, it's producer Pat Boyle, and hockey is back. And DraftKings Sportsbook has an unbelievable offer to celebrate the greatest sport on ice. New customers can bet just $1 on any hockey game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. Doesn't matter if it's a one-time clapper or a deft deflection. However they light the lamp, you win. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long, with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PRESSPASS, throw down $1 on any hockey game, and win 100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. This week, one puck in the net nets you a big win with promo code PRESSPASS at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, NJ, Indiana, or PA only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Please call 1-800-GAMBLER. 
Hey everybody, it's Chris. I want to take a moment to thank and tell you all about Instat Hockey. I'm a subscriber and think of the world of their product. They were the first major company to jump on board as a presenting sponsor of my podcast. I can't thank them enough. Instat Hockey offers the largest statistical data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. Their work is trusted at every level of the game by coaches, scouts, players, and of course, members of the media, like the people we spotlight each week on press pass. The Instat Hockey platform saves the user hours of time watching game film as team and player statistics are pre-cut into separate playlists, including players' individual shifts. All video clips can be edited, shared, and downloaded by the user. I've used their platform and so have many of the coaches I've worked with, so check them out. Visit instatsport.com hockey today for more info. instatsport.com hockey. All right. Wow. Awesome stuff from Frank Saravalli. And that will conclude this episode of Hockey Press Pass. We hope you enjoyed the episode as always. Please check out our website at hockeypresspass.com and consider rating us and subscribing everywhere you get your podcasts, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Email us anytime at presspasspodcast at gmail.com for requests for guests, opinions, or any other questions. Again, a big thanks to our guest, Frank Saravalli, to Lou Pellegrino for his counsel, and to our sponsors, Instat Hockey and DraftKings. And for you, the great listeners of Hockey Press Pass, for continuing to support the podcast. We'll see you next week with another episode.